Well, good morning and welcome to Grace Community Church. I have no idea how many of you are first-timers and how many are not. I am constantly being told, yeah, these guys have been coming for about two months or somebody, Seth, introduced himself yesterday, said, yeah, I've been coming for three weeks. And, and I said, well, that's wonderful. I'm so, so you know, it, buy me a steak dinner, I'll figure it out. That's the way it, that's the way it works. Well, this morning we're going to talk about freedom. That is a wonderful word, isn't it? I, I thought about using, you know, a clip from What About Bob? That's my favorite movie for, you know, sermon illustrations where he, the psychologist has just been driven nuts by one of his patients and he ties him up and he's going to, you know, a bomb's going to explode in five minutes and he walks away saying, free, free! And then, you know, a few minutes later, Bob gets the... <laughs> Ropes off and he's saying, free, free. We, we think we're free and we're not. We just constantly live with that. I'm sure there are a lot of freshmen at Campbell University who think that last night was their first night of freedom. And it will remain that way until the first difficult test or that roommate for whom they thank God so wonderfully last night, you know, turns out to be different than they thought. And then wondering what happened to this Freedom. It, it's a wonderful concept, freedom is. And, and we prayed about freedom. Bert prayed about freedom this morning and the freedom that we have. And, and, and we do tend to take for granted, do we not, how that we could just walk into a church and nobody's watching us. We're not, we, it doesn't even cross our mind. Freedom is a wonderful thing, but if we misuse freedom, if we think it comes with no responsibilities or obligations, then we totally misunderstand true freedom. In so many ways, it's easier for someone else to tell us what to do and how and when to do it than it is to take control of our own lives. You know, when, when you live at home, somebody is telling you, this is how you're supposed to live. When you get away from home, you've got to figure that you've still got schedules. And when we go to work and we punch a clock, somebody is designing our days for us, but when we have to do it ourselves, there's a great deal of responsibility that comes with freedom. Undisciplined freedom will soon result in a harsh slavery, so we need to handle our freedom wisely. If you're here at Grace Community Church for the very first time, you need to know that you're coming in in the, well actually it's, I started to say in the middle, it's toward the end of a series that we've been Blessed in studying the book of Galatians this past year. Uh, just in case you haven't noticed the screen that's above me, we're working our way through this series that is titled Sons and Slaves. There are six chapters in Galatians, and we're all the way up to chapter 5, verse 13. And up to this point in his letter, the Apostle Paul has dealt with one problem in a variety of different ways. About a year earlier, Paul had gone through the region of southern Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey. And he had preached the gospel to a whole lot of people, to a lot of open hearts. And, and there were a lot of converts to Christianity, a lot of people who said, Yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus. I believe this. And I'm going to follow him. 
Then uh, these were people who, all, many, many of, of, of these people were Gentiles who had converted to Judaism. The Jews were sort of unique in the first century because most of the world, pagan religions involved a lot of uh, debauchery along with their worship. And here were these uh, Jewish people that lived morally and it was attractive to a lot of Gentiles and so they converted to Judaism. And Paul comes through, some Jews converted, some Jews said, yes, I believe Jesus is the Messiah to whom all of the Old Testament pointed. He's the promised seed from Genesis 3.15 and all the way through the Old Testament, the sacrificial system, everything was pointing to Jesus and I believe it. But most of the people who believed were, were righteous Gentiles. They are called because they had converted to Judaism. They said, there's got to be more to life than just, just kind of wild living. And so they came to the synagogues and they converted to Judaism. But now when Paul comes through, they're saying, that is exactly. I knew there had to be more to it. And this is it. And I believe. Uh, one of the conditions for a Gentile joining the synagogue and coming under the umbrella of the law and of Judaism was to take the covenant sign, uh, the seal between God and man, which for the men was circumcision. And so they said, we are all the way in and came to God through the synagogue and with the sign of circumcision. To, to submit to this marking of the body was to submit to the law of God. Now, it's kind of like baptism. Next Sunday morning, we're going to have a baptism. We have a baptistry up here. You might not know it. It sits right underneath these uh, curtains in the back and uh, on this top level. And uh, when, when people are baptized, they're saying to the world, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm committing my whole life to him. The difference between the way that we see baptism and the way the Jews saw circumcision was that was part. To do that was necessary in order to be rightly related to God. We baptize because we want to tell the world that we are rightly related to God. Now, in case you're wondering about that, the, the, the New Testament knows nothing of an unbaptized Christian. I mean, if you're a Christian, you need to follow the Lord in baptism. So and if you haven't done that and you would like to next week, please see me today, not later in the week, but today, uh, so that we can talk about that next Sunday. Um, the gospel that Paul preached stated that we are not to submit to the law so that God will accept me. How many people do you know that have, are baptized and say, in fact, when I first got, got, got saved, I, I came out of the old hippie movement, you know, and a lot of the things that we're going to be looking at today were true of my life. And <clears throat> When I got saved, I mean, I got all the way saved. I was just passionate about telling people about Jesus. And I asked my friend, you know, Robert, I said, Robert, do you know for sure when you die you're going to heaven? And he said, um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Catholic. I've been baptized. I said, well, you'll still go to hell. I mean, that was not the best way to witness. I, I, I recognize that now. Uh, in fact, I recognize that very soon after saying it. But, uh, it, you know, I, I was... But he, but he was living a life that reflected Jesus in no way and said, because I've been baptized, I'm going to heaven. Well, a lot of people said, 
you have to keep the law, and the sign of, the, of, of your keeping the law is circumcision. If you do that, you'll be okay. The law, in fact, was established to show us our need for God and, and to show us that through our utter helplessness to keep the law. Paul summarized what he had taught them and what they had believed a year earlier in Galatians 2.16. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Paul wrote this letter to the Galatians because they had begun to believe false teachers who told them, you know, it's all well and good that you believe the law, uh, you believe in Jesus, but you better hang on to the law. Remember, Jesus was a Jew. The law came to the Jews. And, and so you've got to not only believe in Jesus, but you also have to keep the law. It's been here for nearly 1,500 years, and it's the means through which God relates to his people. So believe in Jesus, but keep the law as well, And for those of you Gentiles who are just now coming to faith, you need to be circumcised so that God will accept you in the heaven. That means you're submitting to the law. And if you'll do this, this, and this, and you won't do this, this, and this, you'll get in. Paul said, no. It has nothing to do with that. We've gotten it wrong. Oh, I mean, we've, we've tried to do it the way we thought it was, but God wasn't telling us that Any, anywhere along the way. It started with Abraham. He believed God, and it counted to him for righteousness. So quit trying to be good enough to get into heaven. The Apostle Paul had a slight disagreement with that teaching kind of like a Category 5 hurricane with 165-mile-an-hour winds. It's a slight breeze. I mean, Paul really was upset about this false teaching. He said that the true gospel is Jesus plus nothing. The false teachers tell you it's Jesus plus the law. You need to know this. Jesus plus anything else will result in slavery in this life and eternal condemnation. If you've never read the book of Galatians carefully, I would encourage you to do so. But you need to know that it has... A PG-13 rating. It's some very graphic and very harsh language that Paul used to combat the false teaching. We're capable of, of doing good work so that God will pay attention and let us into heaven. If you go back to the law, Paul said, you go back into slavery. And this was not a Biden-esque slip of the tongue. This was very intentional and very serious thing that Paul was saying. What was at stake Everything. It may sound harsh that someone who wants to do good in order to get into heaven is condemned, but behind such a belief, God points out, is a self-centered, self-focused, indeed a self-righteous desire to justify oneself before a holy God. Here's the good news. Even though that can't be done, those who believe in Jesus are free from the condemnation that the law brings to all who fail to keep it, which pretty much includes all of us. We've all sinned. We're all in deep trouble with God. So if you've trusted Jesus and Jesus alone for your salvation, then you're free. Here is the corresponding charge. Use your freedom wisely. Don't take it for granted. 
Be careful how you live. Use your freedom wisely. In fact, only as you yield to the Holy Spirit can you hope to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord, a life that keeps not only the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law as well. Paul said this to those who had taken the good news of freedom to an extreme. Oh, I'm free, and I'm secure in Jesus' good news. Let's party. So we're going from one extreme to the other in the matter of one verse. Not so fast, Paul said. Well, let's consider everything that Paul did say. Galatians 5 13 through 26 is our text. And we often stand as we read the word at at grace. So let's do that this morning. If you would, please stand. Galatians 5, verses 13 to 26. But I say, walk by the... I'm sorry, I started in verse 13. uh, 16, back to 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers... Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law was fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. The flesh, he's talking about the old nature that lives in us. Every person has an old nature. We're all connected to Adam. Once we trust Christ, we have a new nature as well. That's identified in a lot of different ways here. It's identified as the Spirit of God living in us, the Holy Spirit. So he's saying there's this constant battle going on between flesh and in spirit. So, uh, verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Everybody knows these. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, And things like these, I warn you as I warn you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. I'm not planning to address that last point in the, in the message. Here's just the idea. You walk by the power of the Spirit. You don't have to worry about the law. You will be fulfilling the entire law if you walk according to the Spirit. If these things are in you, you will be fulfilling the law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceding, conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's pray. Father, we pray that your word would go deep in our hearts and that you would change us. We pray that we would be as believers and followers of Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit of God. 
and that we might live in the ways that you guide us and direct us and that people would see Jesus in us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, I've asked you this before. This is a perfect time to ask this particular text. Do you ever feel like you have an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other shoulder? Yes, yes, we do, don't we? I mean, you know, you've got, you got something whispering in your ear saying, here's the way you need to go. You know that this is the right thing to do. And then, you know, the other voice is saying, uh-uh, no, you don't want to do that. I mean, one, we may think about the devil and we may think of him as sinister, but we think of the angel oftentimes as, as a nag and a killjoy. I mean, one way may be better, sure, but the other way is going to be a lot more fun and a lot more convenient, and it's going to make life a lot easier if I'll just go this way. I mean, what is it that keeps you in line when you want to do something wrong? Is it your conscience? It's the policeman in your mirror? We were coming over this morning, they're marathoning and biking all over the place, and I mean, there are policemen at every intersection and you know Allison saying go 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 and I'm saying I'm not going till that guy says go you know well when you're what do you do if you're driving 35 in a 45 and you see a policeman what do you do put on the brakes right you know I'm sure they laugh when the you know cars are going like that Um, could it be that could it be your mother's voice somehow magically finds its way into your ear even though she is a thousand miles away or maybe even long gone you know and your mother is still directing your life the battle between good and evil is not just a battle between batman and bane it is first and foremost a battle between God and Satan. But, but, but understand this. It's only a battle because God allows it to be so. And in his infinite wisdom and sovereignty. This is the way that it is. But a battle it is. And if you are a Christ follower. It's a battle that rages in your life every day. Even if you don't belong to Jesus. You still are thinking. You know I shouldn't do that. That's the conscience that he put inside of all of us. But especially if you're a Christian, it seems like your passions are heightened sometimes. You desperately want to do right and you desperately want to do wrong all at the same time. You're more aware of this battle some days than you are other days. But whether you sense it or not, the battle rages. Well, there are biblical names for the devil and angel on your shoulder. And as they're being designated in Galatians 5, it's the flesh and the spirit. The flesh always thinks of self first, even when it appears to be thinking very much of others. It's always somehow got an angle where self is benefited. The spirit causes us to live for others, but far from being a killjoy, the spirit leads to life, it leads to purpose. And fulfillment while the flesh takes us down a path of self-destruction and condemnation. You know, those paths often don't look like that at the first. At the first, this one looks like a way better way to go. And this one like, oh man, okay. All right, I guess I'll settle in and do the right thing. But if we could just see the ends of those paths, of course, it would look entirely different. The reason, by the way, that non-believers do wonderful things, and sometimes far better things than Christians do, which is, which is awful. 
is that they, along with the rest of us, are made in the image of God. But because of the sin nature that we possess, we cannot please God apart from the Spirit working in us. Now, Paul's comments in our text are directed toward Christians who are clearly capable of living in the flesh, abusing the wonderful freedom from from the condemnation of the law. This freedom that God has given us is so wonderful, and yet we are capable of the other. Uh, Paul begins this section by saying, You were called to freedom, brothers, but don't use your freedom to indulge your flesh, to indulge those passions that cry out for your attention. What's he talking about? Rather than serve yourself, serve others in love. Well, we'll come back to that in just a minute, what he's actually saying. Look at, look at the word serve in verse 13. It's a very strong word that we don't necessarily get. There are two or three words in, in, that in the Greek give a much fuller meaning in our text today than, than we see in the English. The implication is that, if we, that we are to serve others as if we were their slave. That's what this, this word is talking about, serving as a slave and a willing slave. So, if you were a married man, you have a head start serving in this. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I, I'm going to imagine that some of you say, yes, in my marriage, whether it's man or woman, in my home, with my parents, with my teachers, with my employer. I, I, I know all about living as a slave. That's not the kind of slave he's talking about at all. He's talking about one who is a willing servant of others. You've almost certainly heard people talking about joy being an acronym for Jesus, others, and you. And, and, and that's really what he's saying here. I mean, we, we hear that and we just pass it off. Yeah, 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 that's cute. Jesus, others, you. It's true, though. That's the only way we find true joy. Sooner or later, living for yourself is going to wear out and it's going to be no joy at all. One of the worst punishments that God can give to any of us is to just let us keep on going our own way. Proverbs says the backslider in heart is filled with his own ways may feel like, oh, it's just so good just doing what I'm doing and I'm not doing too badly and God's okay. Just keep going, living for yourself and the day will come where you'll terribly regret it. For those of you who are married, do you serve your spouse? Or are you so bitter about his or her lack of love for you? And care for you that you feel justified in protecting yourself. Now look, I I recognize there are cases where people legitimately have the right to split. And if you ask me, I think yes, split. That there are times when that's the case. Biblically, they're justified. And I would say yes, go. This person's been unfaithful. They've abandoned you. They're abusing you. Go. You're free. But most of the time in marriage, we end up just protecting ourselves because we've been hurt. And the person says, the other one says, well, I've been hurt too. Yeah, well, I've been hurt worse than you. And, you know, so I'm just going to have to 
take care of me. Obviously, you care more about yourself than you do me, so I'm going to have to look after me. If we live like that, then we're disobedient to this verse. We are disobeying the God who created us and who died to redeem us from eternal destruction when we were far from unlovable. I mean, we live that way with people all the time. When you change, I'll change, okay? I mean, I've tried to meet you halfway. You're not willing. So when you start making a move toward me, then I'll make a move toward you. It's on you. Everything in Scripture says, no, it's on me. Everything in Scripture says, it's on me. If God says that, that may sound harsh, but if God says it, it's a loving word meant to bring life and not death. And I guess the, the question ultimately all of us have to answer is this. What kind of a question, what kind of a slave do I want to be? I mean, do I want to be a slave to my own passions, my own desires, my own plans? Or do I want to be a willing, loving slave serving God and serving others? So if you're single, you probably are thinking that you're off the hook. But that's not true. I mean, at least married folks get to choose who their roommate is, right? Uh, if you find yourself with a difficult roommate or an insufferable co-worker or even a strange church member, and believe me, they're... Let me just, let me start off. Or even with, you know, a difficult church member. You are called to serve as a happy and willing slave. In fact, if you're single and you live alone, you may have the greatest challenge of all. I mean, I know I was single for two and a half years after my first wife died. And I didn't like being lonely, but I didn't mind living alone. I mean, I came in and I pretty much did what I wanted to. I made the bed for the first two or three months. <laughs> then, you know, I settled into the, uh, you know, the, the routine. You make your bed, you do the dishes. Six months, you start all over again. I mean, it's just, you know, <laughs> when you live alone, you've got to discipline yourself or else it, nothing ever gets done. I just threw water all over myself, so please excuse me. Every, every one of us is challenged to love others and to put them ahead of ourselves, regardless of how easy or how difficult life is at the moment. But, but we cannot do this in our own strength. Everything that we sang about this morning said this. We can't do this in our own strength. Lee, by the way, thank you. That was awesome this morning. And Andrea and everybody else who was up here as well. But... This is the trick, and we're going to talk about this extensively in home groups this week. This is the trick. How do you let God live through you? How do you find victory in your life and, 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 and accomplishment of the things that God has designed for you when you know that in your own strength you're, you're, you're weak? You allow God to do it, and this is what he's talking about, serving in the Spirit. I mean, it helps us to remind ourselves every day, I'm here to serve others. I am here to serve others. I am. But you can't work up this kind of loving service that God requires. It only comes by and through the Holy Spirit. 
Only when the Spirit is in charge can we live as God requires. He gives us spiritual freedom. Life in Jesus. We're not tied to the old law. If we make a mistake, if we stumble, we don't have to say, "Uh uh-oh, maybe I'm not saved anymore. Maybe I better straighten up and do right so that God will save me. we're, We're free from that constant worry and fear. The freedom we enjoy in Christ has to be used responsibly, though. For the entire letter up to this point, Paul has said, don't think you can make yourself acceptable to God by keeping the law, by doing good works. You're sinful, and only when you believe that Jesus died for your sins can you be acceptable to God. Do not go back to your former way of thinking that that causes you to to, to do good so that, God, am am okay, God, when when I get there, he's going to weigh out the works, and if I've done more... Just leave that behind. But Paul makes an abrupt shift and says, do not live sinfully like you used to, but rather live so that Jesus shines through you. So what's the deal? I mean, he's just said, over here, don't do this. And now he's saying, don't do this. It's right on the other side of the coin. It's like, which side is correct? Well, remember, these were Jews who had, or many of these were Gentiles who had converted first to Judaism and then to Christianity. And and back in their pagan days, they lived pretty loose lives. I mean, they were fairly debauched just along with the people of the day. And so when they came to Judaism, they said, good, I can be a moral person now. And they came to Christ. But you know what? We never get rid, in this life, we never get rid of the old man. The old sinful nature is always saying, gosh, it sure was good back in that day when I just didn't have to worry about anything and I could live any way that I wanted and I could have fun, I could party. I was free back then. And now, some false teachers had said, oh, you better toe the line if you hope to get into heaven. But other false teachers were saying, hey, look, it's all about Jesus. And if you live in Jesus, you are free. So anything that you do, it's okay because you've already been saved. You can live any way that you want to. That sounded pretty good to these Gentiles. I mean, and so so they started reverting to some of their pagan ways. And that day was far worse than our day. Now we, you know, I hear people say things like, well, if God doesn't judge America, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. These are people who apparently don't know history. I mean, our day is nothing like that day as far as openness. And you think it's wild today? It is. If they had had the Internet back then and TV, whew, it would have been unbelievable. But they didn't have those things. But you know what? You could just walk down the street and see a lot of the stuff that you try to watch in private at home. It was a wicked day. And people were saying... You know, free, I'm free, so I'm just going to live any way that I want to live. Paul's response to such careless living, don't be ridiculous. Don't be ridiculous. God did not save you so that you could just go back to living the way that you used to live. Okay, so we get it. We're not saved by good works, but if Jesus lives in us, good works are expected. So what then? Well, verse 16 says, If we live by the Spirit, we will not gratify the flesh. 
Scott Colbert and I were talking this week, and he was saying, you know, it's not a matter of... We were talking about something else, but the principle applies. It's not that you're trying to break old habits. Don't, don't concentrate on that. Establish new habits. In, in, in a sense, that's what Paul is saying. If you walk by the Spirit, you won't have to worry about the works of the flesh. When Jesus is in control of your life, when the Holy Spirit is giving you power, when He's guiding you, when He's strengthening you, then you won't be focusing or you won't at least become victim to the, to the works of the flesh. Then verse 17 describes the war. Flesh and spirit constantly going at one another. will never be totally at rest. Primarily what Paul is saying is that the spirit lives in you. He's not going to let you do those things that you used to. But, but look, this, it's, it's a dual battle. Whatever you're doing, you're going to want to be doing the other. If you're walking in the Spirit, the flesh is going to be calling with its siren song saying, over here, over here. And if, you're, if, you, if you succumb to that, the Spirit is going to be saying, no, that's not who you are. Quit living like that. Come back to where you confess and repent from your sin. Our, our text describes two ways of living the flesh serves itself while a spirit-fueled spirit-filled life and led life spirit-led life lives for god and others above self and that's what our freedom in christ needs to lead us to the only way we can live this life is by the power of the holy spirit now the holy spirit is mentioned in our text in these 11 12 verses Seven times by name. Look at the four different ways we're to interact with the Spirit. We are to walk by the Spirit. We're to be led by the Spirit. We're to live by the Spirit and keep in step by the Spirit. And if these things are true in our lives, then the fruit of the Spirit will be the result. And, 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 and one of the, the key things here is it's the last one. Keep in step with the Spirit. And we do that by knowing Reading, studying, knowing, obeying God's Word, which was written by the Spirit. We're told over and over in the New Testament that the, that the Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture. And so how do you keep in step with someone? I, I remember several years ago uh, over at Jim and Joy Acock's house, David and Trula Gray were there and several others. We, were going, we took these dance lessons. And if you wish to laugh, it was far funnier than you can imagine. For me, anyway. I mean, I, you know, I, I want to feel like I've got rhythm and soul and the whole business. But when it comes to doing the steps, I just, you know, I, if you're going to keep in step with the Spirit, you've got to know what steps He's taking, right? And the only way we know that is what He's written for us. Oh, well, I just, I just want to feel. Look, your feelings... Does the Spirit lead us that way? Yeah, I'm, certainly the Spirit can lead us through what we think and how we feel in our emotions. But primarily, the Spirit leads us through His Word. Our feelings are, they're iffy, they're, they're undependable, unreliable. The, the Word always leads us according to the Spirit. <clears throat> now, after this, Paul goes on to talk about the works of the flesh and, and, and the fruit of the Spirit. When I first began preparing this message, I thought, there's no way I'm going to go through this list. I don't think that's the point. But then I, you know, I got to thinking, well, the Holy Spirit put them there. It is some of the point. 
So we're going to take a look. Notice in, in verse 19, Paul talks about the works, plural, of the flesh. But in verse 21, he talks about the fruit, singular, of the Spirit. The works of the flesh are manufactured and they're directed by man for himself. But when Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, he intentionally moves from technical language to agricultural language, the language of nature. No matter how hard we work at growing food, planting, weeding, spraying, whatever ever we do to produce fruit, we recognize that we're not the one really producing it. When we come down to it, the fruit that comes is a gift from God. And if He does not bring about the fruit, no matter what we do, it doesn't exist. So, let's look at these lists. First, at the works of the flesh. The first three works of the flesh listed are sins of immorality, sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. Almost all the lists in the New Testament, both those written by Paul, both spoken by Jesus that were recorded by others, begin with sexual sins. I mean, they, they, they get top billing over murder and theft and backbiting and gospel. Why? Well, because sexual sins are a graphic display of self-centeredness and, and rebellion against God's plan. And they are an abuse of His beautiful gift to mankind of sex. Sexual immorality refers to any sexual relations outside of marriage, while impurity describes the spiritual uncleanness that comes as, as a result of, of such sins. You remember... Don't you, when, when under the law, when lepers would walk down a public street, they would have to cry out, unclean, unclean. Well, that's the idea. There is a moral impurity and, a, and, a, and an uncleanness and a medical uncleanness almost that comes with sexual immorality. The remedy for this, of course, is confession and repentance. Sensuality here is translated debauchery elsewhere. It refers to a total loss of self-control or, de- or decency. There are no limits at this point. I, I read a couple of years ago, I, I read a lot about sex addiction. And you, got, you have to know that this addiction apparently is just about the worst that there is. I mean, it's, it, it's worse than... Than, than drug addiction, alcohol addiction, other kinds of addictions. It, 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 people get to a place where they just absolutely have no control. They may indeed try to cover, but there's a point where it's just beyond their control. There are no limits. Well, after these sins come the sins of idolatry, which are idolatry and sorcery. The, the first term is what it seems, the worship of false gods. And not many of us are bowing down to, to, to statues of wood and stone. But, but we can all agree that anything that takes priority over God in our lives becomes an idol. The term sorcery comes from the Greek word pharmakon. And it's from which we get our term pharmacy. Now pharmacy is not bad. We have a lot of pharmacy students and, 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 and professors and we don't want... Anybody be taking away our prescriptions, all right? That's not the point. But illicit drug use was the 
the point that was in mind. And, and again, you'll, you'll never get this from the English language, but he was very likely referring specifically to, to drugs that were used to produce abortions. So that was one of the key things he was doing. And sorcery is an appropriate description of this because of the religious overtones that were associated with drug abuse. See, a lot of these sins were connected with pagan worship. And so Paul is pointing them out and he's saying, these are the works of the flesh and and God doesn't have anything to do with this. Leave them alone. Well, next come the sins of animosity. Uh, Enmity could be translated hatred. I mean, that's where we often go, is it not, when we feel like people have hurt us or ruined our lives. When's the last time you said in your heart, I hate that person? Okay, well, you're a Christian and you know better than to say that. When's the last time you felt that? Mm, Probably not too long ago. Strife was such a problem, even in the churches. People upset over the wrong things. Once again, protecting self. Jealousy, it's a desire simply to have what other people have you want what they've got and it's at its root is is a heart that is ungrateful for the things that God has given us. Fits of anger, nothing to see here folks, move along. Rivalries brought about by selfish ambition often associated with politics. It's an interesting uh, day that we pray for the government. This Word is one of the reasons that early Christians did not participate very much at all in politics. Now, their system was entirely different from ours. But how often do we see people who are really great people and they go into politics with this heart and desire to serve people and they end up serving themselves? In fact, we often say, man, I hate to see so-and-so go into politics. He's a good guy. She's a great woman. And I know what the machine does. And even in this day where we try to handle our freedom responsibly, we're not doing a very good job, but we are trying this. The temptation is to always serve self. And rivalries develop. And my goodness, you can't hardly think about America. There's such a spirit of love between Democrats and Republicans. libertarians and and others. But, you know, just in case it were like that, that verse is there to to help us. Dissensions refers to our group is better than your group kind of a spirit. Divisions has to do with the splitting of a church into factions because of false teaching. And envy here is a deep level of jealousy that is characterized by malice and ill will towards others <coughs> it's not just it's not just I want what you have it's I hope you fall so flat on your face I hope you're so humiliated I hope something bad happens to you that's what he's talking about all of these are sins of animosity and last there are sins of intemperance and really it comes back around Drunkenness and orgies. Alcohol abuse 
was common in the first century. Just like it is in the 21st century. And it was often associated with idolatry and sexual sins. As it is often in the 21st century. Alcohol is not forbidden in scripture. But alcohol abuse absolutely is. Jews drank wine. Jesus drank wine. Make it any way you want to. Jesus drank wine. But drunkenness was a disgrace for any Jew. And in the early church, Paul was saying the same thing. Alcohol abuse is absolutely forbidden. In fact, being drunk, Paul pointed out in other places, is the opposite of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Alcohol abuse often leads to many of the, the, the works of the flesh that are on this list. And certainly to this last one, it can be a factor, orgies which coming at the end of this list is the pit of depravity. It's just about as far as you can go from God. Now, if you're paying attention to the clock, which I doubt you are because of the nature of this discussion, you will realize that we're out of time. And we're going to wait until next week to think about the fruit of the Spirit. But I want to say a word to the freshmen. And I'll probably say this something like this next week as well. There's a sense that college life is kind of like a four-year Las Vegas trip. You know, and it's what happens in college stays in college, right? Wrong. The decisions that you make will have consequences, both good and bad. The ways that you live are going to have positive and negative consequences for the rest of your life. And what are your two biggest temptations in college? Alcohol and sex. Those are the two biggest temptations. So let me ask you a question. Are you a follower of Jesus? Do you claim Jesus Christ as your Savior? If so, then why do you want to live this life It is so totally antithetical to what he is about and the life to which God has called us. Do you do it just because you're in in college? What if you die halfway through? Well, I went out part... No. For others, are you married and you're actually thinking about a relationship with somebody other than your spouse? Really? Even even emotionally? Are you allowing your heart and your spirit to move away from the person that you pledged before God and tons of witnesses that you would spend the rest of your days with him or her? Listen to the dire warning that Paul gives to those who live carelessly, who who live caring only about themselves. I warn you, as I warned you before, probably when he was there a year earlier, he says, I know where you came from. Let me warn you this uh, about this. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do we believe that once a person is a Christian, he's always Christian, he or she? Yeah, we believe that. 
he spent the whole book saying, if you go back to your old way of trying to get to heaven by good works, then you're falling away from grace. You're showing that you don't belong to God. And now he's saying this, you live like the world lives. You just live indulging your own flesh and your own passions and your own desires. You're showing that you don't belong to God. It indicates that we have no relationship with Him. Does it mean that if you struggle with any of these sins, that you're not saved? Heavens, no, it's not what it means. It is a warning, though. It doesn't mean we're sinless after we know Jesus. But it does mean that if we live If we know Jesus, our lives will reflect Him. Listen to what John Calvin has to say about this warning. For who is there who does not labor under one or other of these sins? So as we're going through this list, you may be saying, Oh boy, it's not what I want to hear, you know. Who is not? Who is there among us who does not labor under one of these sins? We struggle in this life. Because while the Spirit lives in us, the flesh is coming at us too. I reply, Paul does not threaten that there shall be excluded from the kingdom of God all who have sinned, but all who remain impenitent. That's the deal, isn't it? I mean, I live any way I want to, and I just could care less about what you or anybody else thinks, what God thinks. I'm just going to go on and have a good time. That's trouble. You struggle with these sins, even if you struggle with a particular sin, and you've struggled with it for years, and you fall on your face and you say, Oh God, please forgive me. You belong to Him. But when your heart grows hard and when you say, let's just not make a mockery out of this and you start to walk away, that's a warning sign that you really need to fall on your face and repent and put all of your faith and trust in Jesus Christ who died for your sins. So in the middle he says, the saints themselves are heavily burdened but they return to the way. This is John Calvin, for goodness sakes. He recognized we struggle, we sin, but we return to the way. Because they do not surrender, they are not included in this catalog. All the threatenings of God's judgment call us to repentance, for which pardon is already, always ready with God. But if we continue obstinate, they will be a testimony against us. Tough place to end. Fruit of the Spirit, we're going to obviously postpone till next week. So, let's pray.